The reading today is the 24 Spiritual Principles of Magdalene from Find Your Way Home, Words from the Street, Wisdom from the Heart by the women of Magdalene. Love Heals has always been the tagline at Thistle Farms. Thistle Farms is a social enterprise run by the women of Magdalene. By hand, the women create natural bath and body products that are as good for the earth as they are for the body. Purchases of Thistle Farms products directly benefit the women by whom they were made. Thistle Farms' mission is to heal, empower, and employ women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. We do this by providing safe and supportive housing, the opportunity for economic independence, and a strong community of advocates and partners. We believe that in the end, love is the most powerful force for change in the world. Influenced by the Benedictine rule, Magdalene's programs are grounded in 24 simple principles about living gracefully in community with each other. In the 6th century, St. Benedict of Nursia designed the rule of Benedict that has served as a model for communal living for more than a thousand years. Rooted in fidelity, hospitality, and reverence, and love for all humanity, the Benedictine rule calls for a balanced way of life in which the heart becomes broadened with the unutterable sweetness of love. Out of experience of living together, the Magdalene sisters, like the Benedictine brothers before them, have developed guidelines for living. Our rule is a simple guide for living in community. Consisting of 24 principles, it describes practical ways we can love one another without prejudice or judgment. The Rule of Magdalene. One, come together. Two, proclaim original grace. Three, cry with your creator. Four, find your place in the circle. Five, think of the stranger as God. Six, Take the longer path. Seven, make a small change and see the big difference. Eight, let God sort it out. Nine, stand on new ground and believe you are not lost. Ten, forgive and feel freedom. 11, unite your sexuality and spirituality. 12, show hospitality to all. 13, laugh at yourself. 14, consider the thistle. 15, listen to a new idea. 
16. Lose gracefully. 17. Remember, you have been in the ditch. 18. Walk behind. 19. Live in gratitude. 20. Love without judgment. 21. Stay on point. 22. Pray for courage. 23. Find your way home. 24. Leave thankfully. Preaching professors teach students like me to think carefully about the takeaway message for a sermon. If you're like me, it's challenging to process a lot of information listening, and you might only retain one or two ideas. And this morning, I'm a little worried that your one takeaway might be that your intern is an opportunist. <laughs> because Ash Wednesday coincides with Valentine's Day this year, and it hasn't happened since 1945. So I couldn't let the opportunity go unmarked. Actually, the entire Lenten season this year is aligned with my silly sense of humor. We begin the march towards Jesus's death on Valentine's Day and wrap it up on April Fool's Day. <laughs> this is slapstick gold for the perpetually immature. <laughs> But I tried to think maybe there's a little deeper convergence here of this. Normally on the Sunday before Valentine's Day, particularly from an intern, you might hear about this holiday's dubious history and a survey review of the various kinds of love we humans express and experience. And we all get saturated this time of year with romantic stories and marketing suggestions for how to best prove our devotion and of course, they're all largely heteronormative. Remember my big word from the duel that I won? <laughs> so Lent in the Christian liturgical calendar is a time of spiritual preparation. And it represents the 40 days when Jesus went out into the desert to fast and to pray and to prepare for his mission of standing up to oppression, already knowing he would be betrayed, tortured, and then executed by the state. Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent and the ritual of dispensing ashes that were made from burning the previous year's palms is a reminder that life is precious, fragile, and short kind of like that Mary Oliver quote we all love, right? What will you do with your one wild and precious life? So more than anything else, the story of Lent, like the story of Valentine's Day, is also a guide to lavish love, often in the face of injustice. It's a story of sacrifice, but also of pouring our hearts out onto the people who are in our proximity especially those who've been cast aside by society. I first learned of this term, lavish love, when I was introduced to the ministry of Episcopal priest Becca Stevens. 
She's the founder of Magdalen House and the Thistle Farms that we heard about in our reading. That was the 24 Magdalen principles from that program. And I had the honor of taking an intensive leadership class with Reverend Becca Stevens called Transformational Leadership. So three of the beautiful long list of principles were proclaim original grace, consider the thistle, and remember you have been in the ditch. And those really resonate with me and they sum up Thistle Farm's notion that love is the most powerful force for change in the universe. Because original grace, instead of original sin, right? Original grace proclaims everyone is made in the image of God, that we're all held by a love, and that everything that we love is also held by love. Everything that we do is a step toward our return to wholeness. And the thistle, this plant that's a symbol for Thistle Farm's social enterprise, it's considered a weed. It has a soft center, but it has the capacity to break concrete as it grows to bloom. And this, finally, this concept of being in the ditch is a reminder that though we don't share the same experiences, we've certainly all been in need sometime in our lives, and we're not alone. Becca Stevens says that none of the women of Thistle Farms made it to the streets or prison alone. It took a bunch of failed systems and communities to help them get there. So it makes sense that it takes a community to get them back home. And she insists on beauty for the women's homes as an outward expression of their inherent worth. New furniture, everything matching, a beautiful space. And she gives them the opportunities to gain skills and employment, fair living wages, and the opportunity to provide for themselves. Many of the women come to Magdalen House from prison. And we're all aware that our justice system is broken. Thistle Farms is not a part of this system and it doesn't receive federal funding. It's embodying a model of healing justice. Sarah Green, who's a candidate for UUA ministry, one of my peers, and she says with her colleagues at Allied Media Projects, they describe the concept of healing justice this way. We hold healing justice as a practice of reimagining wholeness at the intersection of intergenerational trauma, current structures of oppression, and a generative co-created future. We hold that joy and pleasure create possibility to be in right relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with the land. So at this amazing business that I admire so much down in Nashville, Tennessee, everyone participates in ancient, simple rituals that promote healing and provide a balm to the painful injustice that a lot of the women have experienced through mass incarceration in our country. And I think about this principle of how to proclaim grace, and it takes me back to the first time that I remember learning about gross injustice. I was a volunteer with AmeriCorps National Civilian Community Corps. Do we have any AmeriCorps alums in the <laughs> the National Civilian Community Corps, NCCC, which is almost like a survey course in national service because we rotated projects every six to eight weeks. Um, 
I won't give a spiel on AmeriCorps. <laughs> but I, one of the projects that I was a part of was in a new youthful offender system that was placed inside of a maximum security prison. It was considered a new and progressive system. And I was matched as a mentor and tutor for the only girl inside. She was 15 years old, housed alone in a separate unit from the males. Everything echoes in prison, but I remember my footsteps across the unit to her school table were painfully loud. She had natural roots showing above fiery red hair that clashed with her orange scrubs. And she didn't return my smile as I slid into the metal chair across the table from her. How did you get stuck with me? She asked. I dried my palms on my cargo pants and told her I was with the new AmeriCorps and Triple C team. They had had different teams rotating through the program throughout the year. You're old enough for that? She rolled her eyes at me. I laughed defensively and I opened up her math book to work. And on my way out of the prison that day, I learned she'd been convicted of accessory to murder. We were three years apart. I was 18 and she was 15. We spoke alike, our handwriting was similar. We both wore a uniform and slouched over the table for two hours before lunch and two hours after. And every afternoon, the same loud doors locked her inside and me out. And one morning she said, just ask. <laughs> ask what? But I knew what she meant. You helped murder someone? I tested. She said, I only called the cab. Her story was outrageous, but it was all confirmed in her file. She maintained she had no knowledge of the planned botched robbery. Her boyfriend told her to call a cab, and so she did. She didn't know he had a gun. And as unpredictable as he was, she couldn't have imagined him killing anyone. She said he'd only hit her a few times. He didn't seem like a murderer. Just a few times, I teased. Jeez, you got off easy. And she glared at first, trying to read my face. And then we awkwardly laughed it off. And I looked down at the four hands that were pressed on the tabletop between us. They were close in size. Mine were a few shades lighter. And I wanted to be able to lie to her and say I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her story. Grace, the concept of original grace, grace and privilege are unearned. And somehow, both had colluded to set us on opposite sides of that metal table. Me in a gray AmeriCorps shirt and she in orange prison scrubs. And I was unprepared at 18 years old to face how easily our roles could have been reversed. We had eerily similar ethnic backgrounds and resulting dysfunctional families as we all, many of us do. And a roll of genetic dice had rendered my skin the color of the benefit of the doubt. That was it. I had no moral high ground. I'd been in some similar situations as a kid. And the contrast between her and I, me sitting on the table, 
as her tutor, her sitting on the table as a prisoner, it tested my faith. Because if I believed that God or the Holy Spirit had somehow protected me from being involved in something worse, then uncomfortable questions follow. Why me and why not her? And we could sift backwards, searching for the hand of God from the life of that cab driver, the actions of the boy and his friends, the violence that many women in this country experience early in their lives. These are onions, <laughs> onions of meaning and theodicy that can last a lifetime. And we cycle through them in our own time, in our own ways, and in this case, I was dealing with it in my home and she in her cell. I was only with her for eight weeks. I don't even remember her name. She was facing 25 years in prison. And I've always wondered if she experienced some grace and mercy. I pray that she maybe found a program like Thistle Farms in Nashville, maybe a church like this, where there's a love holding all of us, where she could feel a love holding her. I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing, and there's nothing that I can do for that particular girl. Each of us come to these conundrums of injustice in our lives, where we don't have the individual power to make a change in someone else's life when we can see the injustice plain as day. We can only do our best with what is right before us. And we can only keep trying to find new ways to pour out love, to embody healing justice. One of those ways is ritual. And ritual is a way of nourishing these tender places in our hearts reminding us of the interdependent web of which we're all a part, even though we might sometimes feel powerless in that web. And so today, in honor of that sometimes sense of powerlessness in the face of injustice, and in honor of Lent and Valentine's Day, people to love and systems to heal, we're gonna have a chocolate communion I see some of you squirming in your seats. And I want you to remember that it's only our intention that separates the sacred from the mundane. And I invite you to let go of what might be a limited view of what we understand as the sacred sacrament of communion and consider that the act of communion is simply joyful sharing in intimate fellowship. Audrey Lord said the sharing of joy whether physical, emotional, psychic, or intellectual, it forms a bridge between the shares, which can be the basis for understanding, understanding much of what is not shared between us, and it lessens the threat of difference. Think of this piece of chocolate that our ushers are going to be passing around for us as a little piece of joy to share with one another. Thank you. So we have these bowls of chocolate. There are two different kinds. One is an equal, none of them have nuts, but the equal exchange was 
produced on equipment that also has nuts. The Hershey Kisses are safe if you have a nut allergy. So in the spirit of shared communion, we're going to wait until everyone has been served, and we're going to eat our chocolate together. Okay. In our covenant here at this church, we talk about loving and serving and helping one another. If, you're pa- if you happen to be passing the bowl, you know, hold that bowl for the person next to you so they can take their piece of chocolate. Look them in the eye. And withholding your still wrapped piece of chocolate, I invite you to think about all the ways that you are connected to and sustained by this loving community of seekers. We can seize the strength of ritual. Remember, renew, and relive. Serving and sharing the sweetness of life, we embody the interdependent web, all the ways that we are connected to and nourished by one another. And as we wait for everyone to receive their chocolate, I invite you to consider the small treat in your hand. You can see if you can smell it through the wrapper. Engaging different senses is one of the ways that we cultivate our palates for healing and justice where we consider the symbolism in our lives. This is where we remember that we have bodies, (laughs) that we are not just considering and solving problems in our heads all the time. We almost have everyone. Thank you. Everyone has a chocolate? So go ahead and unwrap it and take a bite. Please take and eat. May you bless the world as it blesses you. Know that we are truly and deeply connected to and nourished by this community by our extended communities outside the walls of this church. That when we love within the proximity of our lives, the people who are within our arms reach, we love them lavishly, that creates a ripple effect throughout the rest of the world. A ripple effect that provides a foundation of possibility for healing justice. May the sweet, simple joys of love fill you up and sustain you in your life. May we be open to all that expands our awareness and welcome all to enter our embrace. And so it is.